All right, turn in your Bibles if you have them to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. We're continuing through this critical time in Christ's life as he approaches the cross. And today, we're going to read a story about Christ's weakness in that time and yet his perseverance through it. We've heard inspiring stories, I'm sure, about the resilience of the human spirit. When individuals continue to push beyond their physical limits, people persisting just from sheer will, right? mind over matter, as the saying goes. But have you ever felt the opposite? That you have a very willing spirit. You have a very eager and determined mind. But it doesn't seem to overpower the weakness of your flesh. Instead of mind over matter, it feels more like matter over mind. What about in our spiritual lives? When it comes to our devotion to Jesus Christ, our ability to stay faithful to him, is, is sheer willpower enough? If I love him enough, if I am dedicated and devoted enough, will that pass the test? If I really mean it when I say I'm true to Jesus, will that get me through the temptations and trials that are sure to come? Well, the disciples certainly thought so. Jesus' 12 disciples have been following him throughout his earthly ministry, and they had been faithful to him, and they didn't see that changing anytime soon. They felt that if they meant it enough, if they loved Jesus enough, not only would they stay true to him, but they would, in fact, be willing to die with Jesus. They were confident in the resilience of their own wills. But as I said before, it's not always mind over matter in the Christian life. Oftentimes, it feels like matter over mind. When our, despite our best intentions, our desire to follow the Lord, the weakness of our flesh overpowers a willing spirit. And we find ourselves woefully unprepared when times of trial come. In our passage today, I think God gives us a contrast between a strong will and a submitted will. If those are our options, if we're going to go into a time of testing and trial or temptation, which one is better? A strong, resilient, determined will or one that is submitted? We'll see this play out in our passage today. We're in Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 27. We'll be reading down through verse 52. This is immediately after the Last Supper, which we looked at last week. When the betrayer is, Jesus points to the fact that he will soon be betrayed, and then he institutes the, the Last Supper. And then they leave and go to the Mount of Olives. And at that point, Jesus says to them, verse 27, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you into Galilee. And Peter said to him, Even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he spoke more vehemently. If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said, likewise. Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. 
And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. And he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. And he went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Then he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray, lest, any, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. And he returned. He found them sleeping again, for their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now his betrayer had given them a signal, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away safely. And as soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and kissed him. Then they laid their hands on him and took him, and one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. Then they all forsook him and fled. Now a certain young man followed him, having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body, and the young men laid hold of him, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. Let's pray and ask God's guidance as we look into his word this morning. Lord, we thank you for the example of your son, who withstood not only deep suffering, but deep emotional distress and turmoil for us as he set his face to go toward the cross so that he might bear the sins of the world on himself, that we might have newness of life. And as we look at his example this morning, I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to see how we, in our own lives, must submit our wills to you so that we may not enter into temptation. Guide us as we look in these truths. In your son's name we pray. Amen. As we consider our passage this morning, we're going to see, in a sense, a play with three different acts. And we're going to begin with a time of confidence where we see Jesus confidently declaring things. We see the disciples confidently declaring things. And then we move into Act 2, and that's the setting for Act 2 is the Garden of Gethsemane. And we move from a time of confidence to a time of preparation. And in this hour, in this garden, these are moments before the hour of betrayal. And Jesus is spending this time preparing and praying. The disciples are spending this time sleeping. It seems as if they aren't even aware that this is a time of preparation. And they squander their time of preparation. As we read in verse 41, Jesus asks them, Are you still sleeping? Taking your rest? It's enough. The hour has come. The time has passed. And so we move to Act 3, that time of testing. And here the confidence that we see in Act 1 is put to the test. 
Here we see how the preparation in Act 2 is imp impacts the time of testing. We see an incredible example of Jesus Christ, but we see in strong, clear instruction for us as Christians. How do we follow Christ into times of testing? And I hope that you all see the importance of these three, three acts that we see in this play, so to speak, in our own lives. We're so quickly to depend on the strength of our own will, our resolve. There's no way I could ever fall. There's no way I would handle persecution and affliction with such cowardice. But when we depend so heavily on the strength of our own will, we are blind to the times of preparation that God has given us. We see Jesus handling this time in a very different way than the, than the disciples. Our dependence on our own strength actually causes us to squander the time of preparation. And when that happens, we find that the strength of our own will is no match for the time of testing. So in short, this passage answers the question, how do I know if I'm ready for times of testing? How do I know that I will stand against the pressure of temptation, against the pressure of trial? Is it a strong will or a submitted will? Which one will endure? Let's go through these three stages, so to speak, of our passage today and look, first of all, at the time of confidence that we see beginning in verse 27. We see the confidence in Jesus' words to his disciples, you will, I will, I will, you will. As we saw last week, Jesus is in complete control over the events of this final week of his life, isn't he? That all the pieces are being moved into place. That while Jesus is going to suffer and die, he knows exactly what's going to happen. He knows how people are going to respond. And we see this exact same thing here in our passage today. We see him confident in his own death. Verse 27, for it is written in scripture, I will strike the shepherd. He's confident in the disciples' response to that. In verse 27, you all will fall away. And when I strike the shepherd, the sheep will be scattered. He's also confident that he'll be raised to life in verse 28. After I am raised up, I will go before you into Galilee. Jesus is set on his mission. He is confident about what must be done for the sins of the world. He could not be more confident than with, in the path ahead. But there's one thing Jesus is confident about that just troubles the disciples, particularly Peter. Jesus is confident in the disciples' weakness. He tells them, when the shepherd is struck, the sheep will scatter. You will all fall away. He cites an Old Testament passage, Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7, which says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands against me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. And by citing this verse, Jesus points to a general truth that when a shepherd is taken away, the sheep have no guidance. And so they scatter. I mean, imagine if a shepherd on the side of a hill is killed by a wild animal. What, how would this sheep respond in that moment? Would they rally together? Would they fight back against the wild animal? No, they would not do that. They would scatter. They would flee. Jesus tells his disciples that they will respond in the same way. When they see their shepherd betrayed and arrested, they will act like sheep, not soldiers. And so Jesus is confident in the disciples' weakness. Jesus knows his children. He knows our weakness. He knows our fear. He knows how much we need him. And while it's troubling for his disciples to hear that they would fail their Savior, there's comfort knowing 
that Christ knows our weakness yet loves us anyway. To think that he knew his disciples would flee from him, abandon him in his greatest hour of need, and yet he still loved them. I love the words of the psalmist in Psalm 103, verse 14, for he knows our frame and he remembers that we're dust. If we are to be ready for times of temptation and trial, you know what we need to do? We need to accept what God says about you. You may say, I'm not capable of denying Jesus. I'm not capable of failing. But in his grace and his mercy, Jesus tells you, you are capable. You're not a mighty warrior. You're a timid sheep who needs a shepherd. And yet our own self-perception can be so inflated. I'm a strong Christian. That we fail to see the weakness of our own flesh. And so Jesus is confident in the disciples' weakness, and he tells them beforehand, when this happens, you will scatter, you will flee. But the disciples are confident in their strength. Particularly, Peter is confident in his strength. Jesus sets forth the whole plan with great confidence, but there's one part of it that really bugs Peter, that whole you-will-fall-away part. He didn't like that. And sure, Jesus might be right about his death, he might be right about his resurrection, but he's wrong about me. In fact, Peter's thinking, Jesus might be right about everyone else. All the other disciples, but not me. Verse 29, even though they all fall away, I will not. What was Peter doing? He was seeing himself as the exception to the rule. Everyone else may be a bunch of timid sheep, but not me. I'm a warrior. And so Jesus focuses on Peter specifically in verse 30. He zeroes in on him. Because he's not going to let Peter get out of this one. And in direct response to Peter's objection, Jesus makes it a point to say that Peter will, in fact, fail Christ, and he will fail Christ more than anyone else there. He says, truly, I tell you. This is a phrase that leaves no room for doubt. He says, this very night, before the rooster crows, he's saying, Peter, this day won't even end before you fail me. And in fact, you will fail me not once, not twice, but three times. But Peter doubles down, doesn't he? Look in verse 31. He said emphatically. Well, if Jesus didn't catch my meaning the first time, if he didn't catch my devotion the first time, I'm going to say it even stronger. This word for emphatic or vehement means beyond normal limits. That's like Peter in a nutshell, really. (laughs) He's being over the top. I don't know how he said it, what words he used, or the inflection of his voice, but he was emphatic. He affirms that he would not deny him, but then he adds to it. He says, in fact, I'll be a martyr before I ever deny you. Peter's no sheep, he thinks. He's a disciple. He's a warrior. He's a martyr. What is Jesus confident in in our passage as we look at this first act in this play? Jesus is confident in God's sovereign plan. He knows what will happen. He knows what he must do. He knows how his friends will respond. And he sets that forth in great confidence. But what is Peter confident in? He's confident in the strength of his own will. In fact, He actually thinks that the strength of his will will overrule God's plan. I know, Jesus, that you said that all this will happen 
and, and you're, you're pretty reliable, you got a good track record, but I'm not gonna fall for that. I'm the exception. And where you place your confidence will determine how you stand under trial. How does your view of yourself compare to God's knowledge of you? Is the strength of your will your confidence? And if so, if it is, you will enter your time of preparation with no sense that you need any preparation. In his grace, often God gives us times of preparation leading up to trial. But when we enter those times of preparation with, with self-confidence, with assurance that we're good, we're, we're standing firm in, in Christ, that, that there's no way that we can fall. We completely bypass that preparation. You are a sheep who needs your shepherd, and apart from him, you can do nothing. And if you are going to withstand temptation, it must begin by agreeing with God about who you are, that you are weak. And if you acknowledge that, you're going to enter your time of testing with a humble trust rather than a self-confidence. You're going to enter your time of testing with a knowledge and an acknowledgement that you do need preparation, that you do need his grace. And so as we continue through our passage, we move from this time of confidence to this time of preparation. Now the scene changes to the Garden of Gethsemane. Look with me in verse 32. He gives all of his disciples a simple instruction. He says to them, sit here while I go pray. We already begin to see how Jesus plans on spending his time of preparation. And in verse 33, he then takes Peter and James and John a little further. Why these three? Well, perhaps it's because these are the three who have been the most confident about their allegiance and their discipleship. Remember earlier in Mark chapter 10 when James and John were like, can we sit on your right hand and on your left in your kingdom? And he says, are you able to drink the cup that I'm, able, that I'm going to drink from? And he says, oh yeah, we're able. We're able. We can do it. And so they bring Peter, he brings Peter, James, and John along with him a little further. And here he opens his heart to these three. And it says that he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And then Jesus goes on ahead by himself a little ways. And he pours his heart out to God. And here we see in this time of preparation an incredible example. You know, we've seen and we have observed the complete control of Jesus over the situation. He knows exactly what's going to happen. He knows what needs to happen. But lest we conclude that Jesus is entering this time in a kind of a stoic, unemotional state, that he's unaffected, that he, that he has no emotions or, or weakness, we see a window into Christ's human, humanity. You see, Peter denies any weakness in his flesh. He's, he's good. He's ready to fight for Jesus. He's ready to die for Jesus. But Jesus, who's the very Son of God, does the exact opposite. With incredible honesty, the sovereign sacrifice opens up and shares his great distress. It says that Jesus had become greatly distressed. This, is, this description is in the passive, which means Jesus is being moved with intense emotional pain. Jesus becomes troubled. This word means anxious or distress. And this is not a nervousness due to the unknown, as our anxiousness often is, but a dread of what is known. 
Jesus is completely confident in God's plan. But it's actually that confidence, that knowledge that is producing this intense emotional anguish, the likes of which none of us have fully experienced. And he's honest with his disciples about this. And in verse 34, he says to them, my soul is very exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. How sorrowful was Jesus? He was so sorrowful that he felt like he was dying. What an incredible thought that the sinless son of God experienced such deep dread, anxiousness, and sorrow. How often do we view such intense emotional pain as a lack of faith? We view it as unspiritual, but nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, it was his faith that was causing such emotional turmoil. He, he was distressed because of what, of what he knew. He was distressed of what the plan was that God, the Father, had revealed to him. His faith was causing this dread. Jesus, fully man, yet fully God, was completely honest about the weakness of his flesh, and yet Peter gave the impression of strength and resolve. If Jesus can admit, I'm exceedingly sorrowful unto death, why do we stand here as if we have no struggle, no weakness? We're the super-Christian. We're invincible to attack. But admission of weakness is actually the first step in enduring trials. If you are not honest about your own weakness, you will stand no chance against trials. And Jesus gives us an example of how to handle the weakness of our flesh. We see Jesus submits his will to the Father. As we consider his example, look what Jesus does in the weakness of his flesh. Does he meet grandiose claims? Does he assert his unwavering devotion to the will of the Father? Now he goes a little further, he falls on his face, and he prays. And in fact, he prays that this hour of testing that's about to come, he prays that it will leave him. He doesn't want it. In verse 36, we see his prayer. He begins with these words, Abba, Father. This opening to his prayer shows the intimate relationship between the Father and the Son. And while, just, I hate to burst your bubble, it's, while it's not the equivalent of daddy, I know we've heard that a lot, it's not really that, but it does show a close relationship, an intimate relationship, a father-son relationship, and so Jesus is preparing for testing by running to his father. He says, he continues, all things are possible for you. He acknowledges the sovereign power of the Father. He's able to do all things, and so he prepares for testing by running to his Father. He prepares for testing by depending on the Father's power. But then he continues on, yet not what I will, but what you will. He yields to the Father's plan. Despite his anguish and his dread, he knows that his Father loves him. And so he prepares for testing by submitting his will to the Father. And what an example Jesus gives us. Don't depend on the strength of your will. Instead, submit your will to God who knows what is best for you. You see the honesty of Jesus. I am weak. I am suffering. In fact, I feel like I'm going to die. I'm so weak. I want this whole cup. I want this whole trial. I want it to be removed from me. And I'm bringing that to my Father, and I'm asking that, but at the end of the day, what am I doing? I'm submitting my will to the Father's will and saying, not what I will, but what you will and what you be done. On the flip side, the disciples submit their will 
to the flesh. Remember the confidence of the disciples? There's no way they would ever deny Jesus. Their resolve is strong. They would follow him to the death in the time of testing. Well, what do we see here in this time of preparation? Verse 37, he came and found them sleeping. And then, just as he did earlier, while all the disciples are sleeping, who does he point out? Peter. And he says, Peter, Simon, are you asleep? You couldn't watch just, just one hour. We find later in verse 40, he comes up back, back a second time, and they find them sleeping again. And obviously, it says there, they had no clue what to answer to him. They were, they were a little dumbfounded. And in verse 41, yet a third time, he comes back and asks them, are you still sleeping? You see, we see the difference between Jesus and the disciples. Jesus had a clear perspective about what was ahead, and he fully acknowledged the weakness of his own flesh. And because his flesh was so weak, he was driven to prayer, and he submitted his will to the Father. On the flip side, the disciples were in denial about their own weakness. They were confident in the strength of their will, so rather than playing, playing, rather than praying, they slept through their preparation. It's like someone who thinks they already know all the material for the test, so they slack off instead of studying. The disciples are sleeping instead of praying. We approach our Christian lives like this so many times, we think, well, you know, when push comes to shove, I'll pass the test. I'll stand firm. I'll be a warrior for Christ. But we don't even open our Bibles. We don't even go to him in prayer. We sleep through our Christian life. Confident we'll never fall. We're good. When Christ needs us, we'll be there. We're good, strong Christians. So let me ask you, how are you preparing for the hours of testing that are in your future? How are you depending and submitting your will to the Father for the hours of temptation that are sure to come? Jesus gives us an example of exactly how we should navigate these times in our lives. And then he follows it up with some clear instruction. We find his direct instruction to the disciples in verse 38. They fail to see his example. So he directly, directly tells them, if you're going to stand firm, this is what you must do. And so we must pay attention to these words because from the mouth of Jesus himself, he tells us that if you are not in a time of testing right now, then you are in a time of preparation. Don't squander it by sleeping through it. And what is his instruction for us? First of all, he gives us the command, watch and pray. Watch and pray. Stay alert and depend on God. This is the solution to the indifference and the laziness that so often characterizes our Christian lives. Pay attention and pray. We see one of, this, one of these same disciples, Peter, later writing in his epistle, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, where he says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. There's the watchfulness. Why? For the sake of your prayers. It's why we see Paul say in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, Pray without ceasing. Let me ask you. Are you sober-minded and alert. Do you grasp how weak and frail your flesh is? Do you understand 
how deceptive sin is? The answer to this question is found in another question. Do you pray? Not just asking for things or praising God, but does your alertness and awareness about the weakness of your flesh and the deceitfulness of sin cause you to submit your will to the Father in prayer? And if you're prayerless, you're probably sleeping through the Christian life. Depending on the strength of your own will, And if so, you will not stand in times of testing. And so he tells them the command, watch and pray. For what purpose? That you may not enter into temptation. Why should we watch and pray? This is why. This is saying that we should watch and pray so that we do not, this is not saying that we should should watch and pray so that we do not experience temptation at all, but rather that we might not succumb to that temptation. And the point of what Jesus is saying is quite simple. The only way to stand firm against temptation is if you are watchful and prayerful. And this eliminates all other strategies. I don't care how passionate you are. I don't care how fervent you are. The way that you you keep from failing in temptation is by watching, being alert, being sober-minded and self-controlled so that you can have a life of prayer, dependence on God as you submit your will to him. And here's the reason for it. The instruction, watch and pray. The purpose, that you may not enter into temptation. The reason, because the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He acknowledges the willingness of the disciples' spirits. He knows they want to to follow him. He knows that they want to be faithful. But the problem is they're underestimating how weak their flesh is. They're underestimating their own frailty. They're underestimating their own fatigue. They're underestimating their own fear. And so he's not knocking the disciples for having a willing spirit. He's instructing them, saying, you're missing something. You're forgetting about something. And as we'll soon see, the weakness of our flesh is capable of overpowering the most willing spirit. Paul laments this reality in Romans chapter 7, verse 18, where he says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. I'm sure you've been there. I want to follow Jesus. I want to stay faithful to him. I want to be true to him. But my flesh is so weak sometimes that I feel like I lack the ability to even carry it out. Your willing spirit is no match for your weak flesh. And inspiring as it is to say, man, if I just focus hard enough, if I just love Jesus enough, if I prove to him that my devotion, then I will withstand any testing, any temptation that may come my way. And Jesus lovingly tells us, no, you're missing something. Your flesh is so weak and so frail that you will run up against it every single time. And when you try to prove your devotion and the resolve of your spirit, it'll run up against the weakness of your own flesh and you will fail. And if Jesus was humble enough to depend on the Father and submit his will in the weakness of his flesh, so should we. There's only one thing that can overcome the weakness of your flesh and it is the power of the Spirit. 
as God told the Apostle Paul, my power is made perfect in what? Weakness. And so Paul later says, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. If you're watching and alert, you realize that you must bring your weakness to God in prayer. If you're confident in the strength of your own will, you will be too lazy to even notice your own weakness. In Mark chapter 14, verses 41 through 42, we discover that the time of preparation is over. The disciples missed their shot. He says to his disciples, it is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. The hour of testing is here, whether the disciples are ready or not. Testing does not wait for you to prepare. Jesus entered it, submitted to the Father. The disciples enter it, depending on their resolve. Let's see how these two approaches play out in our story as we approach now the time of testing. In his typical way, Mark jumps immediately to the time of testing. He loves that word. We see it all throughout his gospel. Judas arrives, and he comes with a crowd, and this crowd is carrying swords, and they're carrying clubs, and they're coming from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. He approaches Jesus. Judas approaches Jesus and betrays him with a kiss in verse 45. And in verse, 40, in verse 46, they grab him. So now the, testing, the time of testing has arrived. It's here. The submitted will of Jesus and the strong will of the disciples. How will each respond? We see in the example of Jesus the strength of a submitted will. Jesus who enters this time having just been overwhelmed with sorrow and great distress, even unto death, has just been betrayed by one of his closest friends, and he sees this mob with swords and clubs standing against him. And yet, in the weakness of his flesh, he has submitted his will to the Father. He knows that his Father is in charge and accomplishing his plan. And what strength do we see in Mark 14, verses 48 through 49? Jesus stands up to them and says to them, Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. He was still submitting to the will of the Father. And by bringing his weaknesses to the Father and submitting his will to the Father, he stood against the hour of testing and the power of the Spirit. What about the disciples? We see the frailty of a strong will. The ones who made such bold claims... The ones who said, if I should die with you, I will not deny you. How did they approach this time? Well, we see some frail attempts to prove themselves. Verse 47, but one, we know this is Peter from the other gospel accounts. One of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And that's it. That's, that's as good as it gets. That's as far as a strong will could go. And in verse 50, we see the fulfillment of what Jesus said earlier. Verse 50 says, they all left him and they fled. The shepherd was struck, 
and the sheep were scattered. Their willing spirits were no match for their weak flesh. The strength of their resolve did not stand against the threats of the enemy. We see one more strange account in, in Mark chapter 14, verses 51 through 52, of someone else deserting Christ. I don't know about you, but whenever you read this, you're like, what in the world is going on here? A young man follows him with nothing but a linen cloth around his body, and they seize him, but he leaves the linen cloth and runs away naked. What, why is this included in Scripture? Well, we don't know the whole backstory of this young man. Many believe this is actually a young Mark. While not a disciple of, of Jesus, not one of the twelve, history tells us that he lived in Jerusalem. And, and while it's some conjecture, it's possible that Mark, hearing the commotion at night, rose from bed, grabbed a sheet to wrap around himself, and followed the disciples. It, it seems to make the most sense, given the fact that Mark includes this and none of the other disciples, other, the other apostles. And if this is Mark, as he very honestly uh, shares an embarrassing story of himself and the humility and the, the humiliation of his empty attempt to kind of follow along. It's almost as if he's saying, I can say firsthand, Jesus was right. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Heed his words, watch and pray. They were in fact sheep and they scattered. May we not find our confidence in the strength of our will. May we rather submit our will to a good God who loves us as we watch and pray our way through life. Let me encourage you. Don't wait until the moment of testing comes to watch and pray. Isn't that often what happens? It's a time of testing that actually frightens us awake. And now we're really alert and now we're desperately praying, don't wait until that time. Live a life of watchful prayer. Pray without ceasing. Don't fall into the lethargy that comes from, from self-confidence, that I'm fine. Live a life of watchful prayer so that you will be prepared when the time of testing comes. When you enter trial, when you enter temptation, is your will already submitted to the Father? Are you already saying, not what I will, but what you will? If you sleep through life, don't expect a godly response when temptation comes. Because when push comes to shove, when we're, when we're woken by trial and temptation, we will run straight to self-preservation. We will run straight to self-gratification. We will run straight to ourselves, to the strength of our resolve. And it will fail. The weakness of your flesh will overpower whatever willingness you may have in your spirit. And so don't let the times of preparation pass you by. If you're not in a trial, then you are in a time of preparation. Follow the example of Jesus who, even in his distress and deep sorrow, went to his Abba, his Father. And he yielded and submitted his will to his Father. And when the hour of testing came, while the disciples fell away, 
He stood in the power of the Spirit. And as our example, He is our Savior, but He's also our example. And He showed us this is how you stand against the trial and temptation that will come your way. Follow my lead. Bring your weakness to the Father. Yield your will to the Father. And in your weakness, He will give you His strength as you enter your time of testing. Can we pray together? Lord, we thank you that as we sang in our song this morning, you will hold us fast. That though our, we fear our faith may fail, you hold us fast. Lord, help us not to be confident in the strength of our own faith, but that we be confident in your strength to hold us. Pray, Lord, that we would submit our wills to you, that we would not be boastful in our own ability to be faithful to you, but that we would come to you in our weakness so that we may have received your strength.